Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of debt, Neil Garfield. Liars Poker. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, February 24th, 2022. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. little hat tip here goes to a client of mine who's a professional gambler, and he asked me what I've been doing, and uh, I told him. And his analysis from the perspective of a poker player, I found helpful in terms of understanding the process and communicating the process that occurs in court. The sole vehicle for enforcement of fictitious, false, and fabricated claims of foreclosure is a lawyer. If anyone else did it, it would be perjury. When the lawyer does it, it's protected by litigation immunity. Basically, to put it in uh, common terms, what lay people would call a lie, basically the lawyer is allowed to lie or mislead the court as long as he does not absolutely know for a fact that what he's saying is a lie and that what he is saying is misleading the court. That narrows the field quite a bit. This is the essence of litigation immunity, which has been weaponized by the investment banks. Litigation immunity is the cloak of invisibility, to put it in Harry Potter terms, under which investment banks pursue unlawful and false claims of rights to administer, collect, or enforce non-existent obligations from homeowners. When I first entered the practice of law, I took on some family law cases, and I was astonished to find, despite what I had learned in law school, that most of the cases were decided by accusations voiced by the lawyers from both sides. There was no evidence. There was no competent witness who could be sworn in under oath who had personal knowledge or who provided testimony or exhibits. It was mainly the lawyers shouting over each other. Now, in the course of the entire litigation, yes, there was some testimony and some exhibits, but basically the, 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 my astonishment grew when I realized that most family court judges 
were issuing rulings and even final judgments as though there was a record of evidence. There was no such record. And on appeal, the appellate panel took as fact whatever the judge said was fact, and even what was shouted on, uh, in the courtroom by the opposing lawyers. Still no evidence. I will grant the excuse that nobody on the bench or anywhere else wants to hear the evidence because any testimony is going to be riddled with lies and exaggerations in a family court divorce setting. You've got two parties that now hate each other. But if judicial institutions are to be sustained, they rest entirely on the trust of the public who must agree that the courts have the last word in making any dispute final. In order to do that, the courts must take in evidence, like it or not, and then rule on the evidence. They must not rule upon the unsworn statement, allegation, or accusation of an attorney, because that is, by definition, argument and not evidence. There are hundreds of cases supporting that proposition in every state and jurisdiction of the United States. And while the public may not realize the importance of some of these nuances, most people do understand when the procedure seems out of whack. And most people understand that foreclosure procedure seems out of whack. at least the ones that contest it. The ones that don't contest it have no idea. All courts have rules of procedure. They cannot rule on any matter that is not properly brought before them and served on the opposing party. No court is required to hear the presentation of evidence on matters that have already been admitted or stipulated. Let me repeat that because that's what this show is about. No court is required to hear any presentation of evidence or even argument on matters that have already been admitted or stipulated. That's exactly where bluffing comes in. Most homeowners lose their cases if they contest it because they or an attorney on their behalf failed to object to false, misleading, or erroneous statement of fact and law asserted by the attorney that has been falsely presented as representing the named claimant. That's a mouthful, but basically... What I'm saying there is that whoever the attorney is, when he says he represents the plaintiff or he rep- in judicial states or the defendant in non-judicial states, he doesn't represent that party. He's never spoken to them. He has received nothing from them. But he could argue that he, th- he thought he did because he got an electronic instruction on his desktop 
that implied that it came from a company that was named as a servicer who was representing the party on whose behalf he named as plaintiff in a foreclosure lawsuit or beneficiary in a notice of default and notice of sale in a non-judicial state. So this brings us to claims of foreclosure. Foreclosure is simply about money. You gotta remember that. It's not about documents, not about property, it's about money. All the other stuff is secondary, tertiary, etc. If the claim exists and remains unpaid, there is a claim to seek restitution of that unpaid money. If it is if it is due according to the terms of the agreement. If the claim does not exist, then neither side should be required to appear in court and neither side is allowed to appear in court. There has to be a real claim. The constitution of each state and the constitution of this country requires that there be a case in controversy in order for a judge to issue a ruling disposing of a dispute. There is no case in controversy unless there is a party who can assert a credible claim of injury caused by the other party. That assertion can never be made truthfully in the context of what Wall Street calls securitization. And that is because securitization, in its current form, actually eliminates any sale or purchase of any debt, obligation, note, or mortgage. But such a sale is absolutely required by both statute and common law precedent as a condition preceding to making a claim for any right to administer, collect, or enforce any debt or underlying obligation. If the amount due is secured by a pledge of collateral like homestead property, then that property might be sold once the judgment is entered, establishing the existence of the debt that it is unpaid and that the homeowner has failed to pay the unpaid account when due. That's the assumption behind all foreclosures. But that assumption is false. All of this is well known and accepted by virtually every lawyer and every judge in the world. But like family law, judges are tired of listening to homeowners whine and complain about losing their homes. And so judges lapse into listening to the lawyer for the claimant assert that this is a standard foreclosure despite ample evidence in millions of cases, thousands of government investigations and settlements and hundreds of statutes restricting the right to make any claim and restricting the right to seek foreclosure as a remedy even if the claim exists. They can do that mainly because they are rarely confronted by a credible challenge to the initial assertion made by the lawyer who has asserted the right to represent a bank as trustee of a non-existing trust 
that possesses no claim to administer, collect, or enforce any debt or obligation. By the time the homeowner or the attorney for the homeowner wakes up and tries to assert defenses, it has become a yes-but defense, which is the same thing as throwing yourself on the mercy of the court. But the court lacks any authority to show you mercy, except perhaps in the timing of the sale and the eviction. Here is the simple fact that you can take to the bank. In the context of securitization, there is not one claimant who has ever received or dispersed any money paid by homeowners or paid as a result of the sale of their home. Not one of them has ever received a penny and not one of them has ever expected or intended to receive a penny except for fees in exchange for the use of their name. And the homeowners who seem unmotivated to protect their own interests and the huge amount of equity that is in the largest investment they will ever make, their home, I'll ask you whether you actually want to give up, clean up, and leave the keys for an interloper to whom you owe no money. 96% of all homeowners faced with these false claims seeking foreclosure simply do nothing. They simply leave. The end result is that final judgments of foreclosures under the power of sale occur on a regular basis without anyone involved knowing or caring about whether there is a claim and whether the remedy of foreclosure is even available under the law. Lawyers have a job. Their job is to do the best they can at advancing their client's position within the bounds of the law. The job description of a lawyer does not include being right or correct, or for that matter, entirely truthful. The oath of the lawyer only requires that he or she undertake such action and make such actions as may be reasonably asserted in good faith without an actual intention to deceive the court. This usually involves a fair amount of bluffing, and any successful lawyer will tell you that it requires a great deal of knowledge, only part of which is imparted and even less retained in law school. So tonight we're talking about how lawyers bluff their way through any case. And the most effective way of doing that is by asserting facts or laws that have never been introduced into the case up to that point. In some cases, those facts and those laws will never be introduced. But asserting them up front sets the tone and the narrative of the case which is why for 15 years now I've cautioned attorneys who represent homeowners to take control of the narrative at the earliest possible moment. If the lawyer is good at bluffing, the opposing lawyer representing the homeowner will fail to object or challenge the assertion. In the mind of the judge, a human being, the fact is then firmly established as true, even though it's false. The die is cast. 
Whatever the lawyer said is true. The job of the homeowner or the attorney for the homeowner is to rebut every statement that is false at every turn in good faith. This is particularly true in foreclosure litigation. A lawyer stands up and says his name and says he represents the claimant that has either been named as plaintiff in a judicial foreclosure or as defendant in a non-judicial state where the homeowner must file the claim against the forced sale of homestead property. The fact that this lawyer has never spoken to any officer or any employee of the named claimant does not stop him or her from asserting that he or she is the authorized legal advocate for the named claimant. That is a bluff, and it is hard to um, overcome until much later in litigation at best. That lawyer knows that it is probably true that the trust, even if it could be construed as technically existing, has never received a single payment from the homeowner and never will. The lawyer advancing the position of the named claimant will invariably assert this is a standard foreclosure. Same bluff, same rules. If this was a standard foreclosure, the witness would be a records custodian for the company or bank that is named as the claimant or the plaintiff or the beneficiary under a deed of trust. If this was a standard foreclosure, the witness would pro provide foundation testimony for the introduction into evidence of the loan account receivable into evidence, which is the only allowable evidence that can be used to assert the unpaid balance due from the homeowner to the claimant. Instead, what happens is a bluff. They produce a payment history the origin of which is not nearly what you might think it, it is. Although if you've been reading my blog, you know what it is. But without an objection, even if it is annoying to the judge, the record stands for the proposition that this is a standard foreclosure, even though it is not even close to being true. That lawyer knows that he or she is going to rely entirely upon the records of payments shown on a report that is generated from an unknown source. He or she knows that he's going to use the payment history instead of the required loan account, and that he or she will resist any and all attempts or even court orders to produce the loan account. But without an objection, even if it is annoying to the judge, the payment history will be accepted as though it is a lawful substitute for the loan account. That becomes the law of the case. And once it is accepted as such, the fact that no disbursements are shown is relevant but ignored since the time has passed since the objection should have been raised. The lawyer then goes on to speak about his client, even though he has not ever been retained or paid by the claimant, and he has never received any instructions or information from the named claimant. 
The lawyer does not know the identity of his client because very often his client is some bank that does exist as trustee of a trust which does not exist as the injured party, which is not true. This is also a bluff. But if the lawyer is good at bluffing, the opposing lawyer will fail to object properly or on time or challenge the assertion. In the mind of the judge, a human being, the fact is then firmly established as true. Once again, the die is cast. Generally speaking, judges are not receptive to a challenge to the opposing lawyer's authority to represent at the early stages. This is unfortunate, but those are the, I won't say the rules, they are the common practice. But discovery that is properly prepared and timely served can frequently reveal the fact that the lawyer has had no contact, no instructions, and does not represent the bank that is supposedly the trustee of the non-existent trust. It turns out that everyone is basically winging it. The law takes second place to the feelings of people involved, and that results in mistrust and genuine antagonism between the public and the only thing standing between law and order and total chaos in our society. The court system, applying the law in a credible, acceptable way, displaying a commitment to fairness and process. So what I'm saying here is the basis for why I keep saying you need a lawyer. I know from personal experience on personal matters, that you need a lawyer. You need someone other than you to go into court and who's going to attack the basis of the claim which has been asserted. By not assuming the claim is valid, by not assuming that there is an existing loan account, by not assuming that it is unpaid, by not assuming there is a default, and by understanding there's a difference between not making a scheduled payment, especially when it isn't due, and a default, the lawyer is able to raise questions in the mind of the judge. But although I've been successful at the late stages of doing it at trial, the better way of doing it is attacking the bluff as early as possible up front by objections and even, as I've stated recently, in mediation, at which the parties are ordered to appear. The parties do not include the servicer and the homeowner. The parties are the claimant and the homeowner. 
Again, it's a bluff. It's a bluff which has been working for 20 years. You're litigating against U.S. Bank as trustee, or Deutsche Bank National Trust Company as trustee, or Bank of New York Mellon as trustee, etc. You're never going to see or hear from them. And one of the tactics that I'm saying to call their bluff is maybe come to some agreement whatever it is, but insist on acknowledgement from the named claimant. Because at the point where you are at mediation, it is not established as a fact that the claimant is holding an unpaid loan account. It is not established that the servicer is an agent for that claimant with respect to an unpaid loan account due from the homeowner. So it is perfectly appropriate and completely within custom and standard practice for banks to require acknowledgement from the true owner of the loan account before they put their signatures to any agreement or settlement agreement. These are things that occur to lawyers, but for the most part, they do not occur to people who have never been in a courtroom. That's why you hire lawyers. Now, let me add one other thing, because I'm going to turn my attention in my future work to, from defensive to offensive. If everything I'm saying about that loan account is true, that means that the mortgage lien at best is unenforceable and probably can be removed from the chain of title. That turns the whole house into equity. And that house can be sold or refinanced or anything you want as though that mortgage wasn't there. And that's a good thing. Why? Because the securitization process pays off everyone without notifying the homeowner. They're selling securities. And what really happened when the transaction was originated with the homeowner is that the homeowner was selling the his or her name, financial reputation, signature, and collateral for the purpose of becoming an issuer of documents that are then converted by the investment bank into certificates that are sold to investors. Those certificates convey nothing to the investors in terms of ownership of any loan. So what you want to do is start reading my blog from this point forward, and you will see that there is an opportunity 
for not only successfully defending a foreclosure, but clearing the title of any fake claim to administer, collect, or enforce any note, obligation, mortgage, or anything. That claim does not exist. And the people who actually do contest it, they're the ones who are left smiling. That's it for tonight, folks. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.